Thank you. I feel that happens more often than not, that they pair me up with Athanasius. And I feel like they do it just to make me feel insecure, like JT Athanasius. Like one of those names is really cool. And I'll let you figure that out. Hey, thank you. Someone said JT is a cool name. Um, hey, and I also just want to say, I just checked the weather, and I think the rain is going to hold off. I think it's going to stop raining around 4, so the concert on the square, I think, is going to be a go, but we'll find out. Um, and just because I have a microphone, I want to, I want to highlight something. Um, I'm teaching that class on worship on Tuesday, and I just, want to, I just want to invite all you guys to come. This class is for people who love, 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 love worship, who, you know, feel like it's it's a huge part of their life, and, and they have a lot of, lot of thoughts and, and passion for it. And it's also for people who don't really love worship, and they struggle with it, and they don't understand why we, why we sing for, you know, 20, 30 minutes before we have a sermon. So it's for all of you guys, and I'd love to have a, have a dialogue and just talk with worship with you guys. And I just, I really desire, as the, the pastor who oversees worship, for our church to be to be known as a church that loves to worship. So, so I'd love to engage with a, a, in a dialogue with you guys. Hey, um, I'm going to get started, but before we do, we have a special guest here this morning. We, we need to turn around and say hi. Uh, Danny Meyer, senior pastor, is on a computer back there. So everyone wave and say hi, Danny Meyer. Hi, Dad. Hey, we're going through the book of Acts, and I love this series. This has been a really fun series. Acts is just a, an action-packed um, book of the Bible. And if you're, if you're unaware, Acts is the story of the early church. It's, you know, after Jesus uh, died and rose again and ascended into heaven, this is what happened next. This is how the church began. And, and if you've noticed over the past couple months, there has been a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And if you read through it, it seems like from chapter to chapter, like one chapter, like someone's being healed, like a blind guy seeing, or, or, you know, a church is being planted. And then the next moment, someone's being thrown into jail, or someone is facing huge uh, persecution or adversity. And today, what we're going to be looking at is what happens when we see adversity or conflict within the church. Like church... Churches that have a conflict that arise from, from within. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, and there's, there's actually two stories in Acts chapter 15, and both of them have to do with conflict within the church. So we're going to be looking at conflict. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we don't have any conflict in our church, right? We get along great. Like, we don't, we don't butt heads about anything. We agree on literally everything here. But that is not true. We, we, we do have conflict. Conflict, conflict is a normal part of, of any relationship. You're going to have conflict in any relationship. And, 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 and within the church, we're called to be a family. We're called to, to be in relationship with one another. So we're going to butt heads. We're going to you know, rub against each other. And we're going to have opinions about things that are different and, and have different ideas about how things should function, and we're, we're going to have disagreements. And yeah, we're called to unity, and we're called to, to togetherness and oneness, but, but that doesn't mean we're not going to offend each other or disagree with each other. And conflict has been part of the church since its very beginnings. 
And you'll notice that, that being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, is going to get messy. It's going to get really messy. And if you're, if you're new here, if you're new to the, to the vineyard, I just want to say the more involved you get, the more you're going to realize that we are weird. <laughs> that we have, we have opinions about things that maybe you don't agree with or, or some of us have short fuses or some of us, you know, you know, don't know when to hold our tongue or some of us have, you know, a temper problem and we're going we're gonna to hurt your feelings. The more involved you get with this church, you're going to find out that, you know, we're, we're people who are going to hurt you or offend you. No church is perfect. But I love the quote that says, if you do find a, church, a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. <laughs> Not only are we going to offend you, but you're going to offend us. Like, we're going we're gonna to just constantly, maybe not constantly, but we're going we're gonna, to, you know, have conflict with one another. We're going to have difference of opinions, you know, different philosophies, different political views, different all kinds of things, and we're going to have conflict. Conflict is a part of the church, and not only is it normal and natural, but sometimes it's actually even healthy. Sometimes it's healthy and good to have conflict. There's a lot of growth that can come out of that. But it's important to remember that in conflict and and being part of this crazy dysfunctional family called the church, we're called to unity. And it, it may get ugly, but I love what Phil Strout says that we are better together. We are better together, even though it's sometimes more difficult and, and dysfunctional. I love this dysfunctional family we call the church. I do. So today we're going to be looking at a story about conflict within the church, and the particular kind of conflict that they're having is a philosophical, theological disagreement. And so so what happens when the church has a different opinion from one another about theology or or practice or, or all kinds of things? Like what if you don't agree with something that someone said in your small group? Or what if, what if someone that you're serving with wants to do something in a way that you just think is wrong and, and not very productive? Or what if you have, you know, a political or, or a theological or social uh, issue with someone that you're sitting next to today? So in this passage that we're going to be looking at, it's going to give us, I believe, a really good framework, really good guidelines, how to walk out this... Um, crazy walk of of living together and doing ministry together and loving one another and these guidelines to to facing hard decisions and having hard discussions and having disagreements. And particularly, let me say this, it's for within the church. Some of these guidelines are great for relationships outside the church, but some of them are specifically for inside the church. And we'll, we'll go over that as we get to it. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, if you want to open up there. We're going to be looking at one of the two stories. I wish we had time to look at both of them, but we don't. But as you're opening up, we're going to have it up on the screens too, but let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I just invite you here, and I just ask for you to be with us. Just guide our, 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 uh, just guide our time this morning. In your name, amen. So like I said, Acts is the story 
of the church. And for the past few chapters, the main characters have been two guys named Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas were, were really cool guys. They were, they were these Jewish people who, who went from Jerusalem into the Gentile world. They were missionaries who went into the Gentile world to start evangelizing to the Gentiles. And they began to plant churches, and, and many people from, from all around uh, you know, Europe and Asia began to give their life to Jesus. And it was awesome. Churches were you know, forming, and it's been a really cool time. So let's open up Acts 15 and, and jump out from, from, from there. Verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Antioch was the, the main church in the Gentile world right, right now. And we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. And let me, let me take a second. This sharp dispute is not a great translation. It really meant like heated, like almost violent argument. But it was a sharp dispute and, and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So jumping ahead, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So you may notice as you read the book of Acts that this theme, this, this question, this conversation comes up a lot. And actually, all throughout the New Testament, this conversation comes up a lot. And it's the, the theme or the question of what does it require? What is the requirement to be saved? What do you need to do to, to be in relationship with God? What do you need to do to be saved, to be part of Jesus' family? What do you have to do? Remember over a month ago, maybe a couple months ago, this, this theme came up and it was about what you ate. If what you ate brought you into to right relationship with God. And now the argument is whether or not the new converts, the Gentiles, who are converting to, to Christianity and to the church, need to be circumcised. And so we're going to take about 20 minutes to talk about the benefits of circumcision. And uh, I'm just joking, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but if you notice in verse 5, the people who are leading this charge, leading this argument, were, were a group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were really, you know, they were the ones who were really adamant about this. And I know, growing up in the church, every time I heard uh, the Pharisees brought up, immediately what came to my mind was the bad guys. Like the Pharisees were like these evil guys who were around every corner trying to stop what was going on. And that's not entirely true. You know, there's a lot of really good Pharisees. You know, Paul was actually a Pharisee. Um, but these Pharisees, a better understanding was these Pharisees were actually, they were part of the church. They were followers of Jesus. And, and the reason that they were so adamant about this is because, you know, at this time, Jerusalem and Israel was under Roman rule. And, and the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish way of life was being, like, annihilated. It was being wiped out. And, and the Pharisees were people who wanted to stand up for what they believe in and say, we have to hold on to who we are. We can't let who we are be lost. So they were people, I mean, it was, it was coming from a really good place. 
So when they hear about, you know, these new churches popping up in the Gentile world, fear began to kind of rise up in them. And they thought, oh, we got to make sure they, 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 that we keep our Jewish customs. And we, we got to make sure that, that our way of life doesn't get lost. And, and I mean, what are these churches doing? Are they just doing whatever they want? And are they crazy? And what do they believe even? So it was this fear that was rising up from, from inside of them. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of this concern doesn't come from necessarily a bad place, but what happens, what happened with the, with the Pharisees is this desire to keep this Jew of, Jewish way of life started to infiltrate the gospel message. And that became a problem. That became a problem. And that's where Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, no, 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 no. This is an issue. This is an issue. Because the gospel message was at stake. And, and just really quickly, the gospel message is this. The gospel message says that we are saved by grace alone. No other way. We are saved by grace alone. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you act. It's not about what you say, how you behave. It's not about how you dress. It's not about how you vote. It's not about any of those things. It's by grace alone. It's by what Jesus did on the cross. It's not what you do, it's what he did. So this conflict was extremely important for, for Paul and Barnabas to stand up and say, no, 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 guys, we need to, we need to hold on to this, this message that we are saved by grace alone. We can't let that get diluted or changed or, or added to or anything. Grace alone alone. And so if we keep on reading in verse 7, Peter joins the fight. And Peter, uh, it says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, saying, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So not only are Paul and Barnabas underlining grace alone, but Peter's saying, guys, remember. Remember what happened, you know, a few chapters ago. Um, it's, it's, it's grace alone. It's not by what we eat. It's not by being circumcised. It's not by belonging to this church or, or you know, doing this thing or not doing this thing. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then, like to put a, a big stamp on it, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And James, many scholars, and what we can see in, in a lot of scriptures, believe he was like the head guy. He was like the head guy of the church. And if, if not the head guy, one of the two or three main guys. But he gets up, and he, what he does is really cool. Because at this point, the argument, the discussion is happening in Greek. And he gets up and starts speaking Aramaic which is like the traditional like, Jewish language. And he's kind of, I think he's kind of saying, this is my opinion, but I think he's kind of going, you guys want to hold on to Jewish custom? I can do it with the best. And he starts speaking Aramaic and he starts quoting from, from Old Testament prophets. And listen to what he says. He quotes from the book of Amos. He says, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It's ruins I will rebuild, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. 
He's basically saying, guys, the prophets from the Old Testament talked about this. Like, this is not a new idea. That, that, that this, this idea of being in relationship from God, from turning to God, is not about, you know, the Jewish way of life. It's for all people. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles to turn to God. And then he goes on to say something like so simple, but so brilliant and profound that has stuck with me over the years. Listen to this. He says in verse 19, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's like super simple, but so profound. Hey guys, let's, let's not make it hard for them to turn to God. Let's not make extra things for them to, to come into relationship with God. Let's not make it difficult for them. And I think when we read something like that, or hear something like that, it's important for us to ask ourselves, are we making it difficult? Are you making it difficult? Am I making it difficult? What is the message of Jesus that you are spreading? Either explicitly or implicitly. What are you spreading? Are you saying, yeah, it's about grace, but you also have to behave this way? You also have to leave this, you know, area of sin, and you have to start doing this, and you have to, you know, believe that this is true, and you have to not do this, and maybe you have to be a part of this church, and maybe you have to vote this political party and and not dress this way anymore all can be good things, biblical things. Or do we say that salvation is not about anything that we do, it's by the grace of God. It's by what he did. Are we making it it difficult? Is it grace plus not sinning anymore? Is it grace plus being a member of the vineyard? No, it's grace alone. We need to ask ourselves this. Am I doing anything? Am I saying things that are making it difficult for people to turn to God? And and sometimes the flip side is true. Sometimes it's it's not things that that we are doing for others. It's things that we're doing for ourselves. Like sometimes we're making it difficult for ourselves to turn to God. Like we think... Man, I gotta, I gotta clean up this area of my life before God can accept me. Or if I keep on, you know, if I keep on doing this, God's not gonna love me. Or before I can really have a relationship with God, I need to start doing this more or, or, or stop doing this. Or do we believe that our relationship with God, our right standing in God's eyes is by what he did, by grace alone? Because let me just say this, if we are adding anything to that gospel message of grace alone, whether it's for ourselves or for others, what we are doing, what we are saying is essentially this, Jesus, what you did on the cross wasn't good enough. That the price you paid on the cross, that was great, but I got to do a few more things. Or, or, you know, what God did, what Jesus did on the cross was really good, but you, you, It wasn't good enough for you. You have to also do this. And that is just untrue. That is counter to the gospel message. It's not just adding a little thing. It is is the opposite of the gospel message. 
let me just say this. If you, if you have never, if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, you've never, you've never just accepted that grace, let me just tell you this. Do you know that God is like desperately in love with you? And that, that us as human beings, there's been, because of our sin, because of the things that we've chosen to do and, and our fallen nature, we, we've turned away from God and we have been disconnected with God. But Jesus on the cross did something about it. And he's saying you can be reconnected with the creator of the universe. I have a purpose for you. I want relationship with you. And all you have to do this morning is just accept that. Just accept that grace. And I know for some of you, there's, there, there could be a fear that it means that you're going to have to, you know, start dressing a certain way or you're going to have to start, you know, you know being perfect or you're going to have to change your political affiliation or you're going to have to do this or that. And let me just tell you, Sometimes Jesus enters into your life when you, when you have this relationship and he starts poking around a little bit and says, let's deal with this. Let's, let's, let's work on this issue in your life. But the only thing you have to do is recognize that Jesus paid for your sins and that you want to enter into relationship with him. So I, later, later today, I want to I offer you guys an opportunity to do that because to, like, there is no better time than right now to enter into a relationship with Jesus because he, he is so amazing. If you're a follower of Christ, you know that there is nothing, nothing in this world as sweet as the presence of God entering into relationship with him. But it's so important for us as followers of Jesus as the church to have this idea settled that it is grace alone. And I think that adding to the gospel, changing the gospel is a, is a, is a message or a, an issue that's worth having conflict over. That's, that's an important issue to engage, that when we feel like the gospel message is being tainted with, that's something that I think is worth standing up for and saying, nope, not my gospel. James goes on to say, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Okay, this is weird. What? This is confusing. What, is, what does that mean? Like, it seems like they're just like, yeah, grace alone. It's all about grace. And then James is like, yeah, totally, grace alone. And these three things that are kind of weird. But, but listen, that's not what James is doing at all. That's not what James is saying. James, what, what he's doing is really cool. He's making a compromise. He's making a compromise. And he's not compromising the gospel. He's not compromising the gospel message, and he's not compromising scripture. What he is doing is making a compromise for the Jews and the Gentiles to play nice, for them to, to get along with one another, to, to live harmoniously and still be biblical people. James is agreeing, yeah, we are saved by grace. But here are some, some good guidelines for the churches in Antioch and the, and the churches in general to live by so we can get along. And, and, and live together and make hard decisions together and, and do this church thing together. 
So I want to look at, I want to look at these guidelines to these tough decisions and these, these conflicts and, and living out church life together. Let's look at the first one. The first thing that James brings up is, is when we're facing hard conflict or hard decisions is we need to use wisdom. The first guideline is wisdom. And here's what I mean. The first thing he brings up is he says, abstain from food polluted by idols. And what he's basically saying, what he's talking about, he's saying don't eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol. But we know that eating food sacrificed to idols is not necessarily wrong. And how how do we know that, JT? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, Because it tells us uh, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul goes into this and he, he basically says it doesn't matter. If you eat food that are sacrificed, I mean, he, he says it matters, but he says it's not right or wrong to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. He says it's okay to do it. And I encourage you to read that. It's actually a really interesting story. But he says it's not right or wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols. So the reason James is bringing this up is because the people in Antioch were people that had a culture that was steeped with idol worship. This culture was like totally about worshiping idols. So basically what he's saying is this. He's saying, I know that idol worship is a big issue in your culture. So if I were you, I would stay as far away from idols as possible. That's what he's saying. He's saying, use wisdom. And there are some other reasons why he says it for like appearances and other kinds of things. But the main reason theologians believe is he was telling them to be wise. Idol worship is a big deal in your culture, so stay away from idols. Anything to do with idols. So like a good example today would be, um, like, so if if you have a glass of wine for dinner, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with with drinking a, a, a glass of beer occasionally. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if I was speaking to a group of recovering alcoholics, I would say it would be wise for you to stay away from alcohol. You should stay away from alcohol. If I was speaking to a group of recovering addicts, I would say, you know, it's not a good idea. You shouldn't go into bars. And I'm not saying that it's universally right or wrong to, to have a glass of wine or, to, or to, you know, to go into a bar. What I'm saying is for you, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. It's not a black and white issue. It's not a for all time right or wrong issue. It's a a wisdom issue. And these are things that the Bible talks about. These are things that in Romans 14, Paul talks about as, as disputable matters. Things that we can, as good Christians, disagree on. And we can think, you know, I think that's wrong, and I don't think that's wrong, and that's okay. We can we can have discussion over that. We can we can disagree on infant baptism, or we can, we can disagree on the, the way we do communion. Those are disputable matters. We can, we can have conflict over that, and it's okay. We can disagree. Let me, let me give you an example in my life. So the past year, God has been really convicting me about my health, and the way I eat, and the way I exercise, or the way I don't exercise, <laughs> But he's really been convicting me about my health. And what I thought he spoke to me was, Jay, um, and that's what he calls me when he, sometimes. He says, Jay, listen, 
I don't think you should eat fast food anymore. And he said, in fact, if you eat fast food, I think you'd be be sinning. Don't do it. And so I feel like God is saying, I'm not allowed to eat fast food. And so I am not saying that you are not allowed to eat fast food. I don't think it's a sin, but I think for me it would be. It's not wise because God's been convicting me of my health for me to eat food that's super unhealthy. Or maybe for you, it's you, you struggle with lust. You struggle with maybe having a wandering eye. And maybe God is challenging you saying, you, I really want you to think about the, the television shows you watch. Or I want you to, to not go to the swimming pool anymore because you can't help but you know, having a wandering eye. And it's not wrong to go to a swimming pool, but maybe for you it is. James is saying, use wisdom. These could be endless situations. Not necessarily right or wrong, but, but, but use wisdom. So in our church, practically, it could be, should we allow this, this person to teach in our small group? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We should use wisdom. Or, or things like, how old do you have to be to be baptized? I don't know. Let's use wisdom. Let's, 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 let's talk about it. Or what kind of style of worship we have. Or, or is it okay to watch this certain movie or this television show? Or, or who should we vote for in November? Or these things that we can disagree on that are disputable matters. We can use wisdom when talking about it and thinking about it and processing through it. And we use wisdom, but it's not necessarily super black and white in Scripture. All kinds of things. And let me just say this too. With a lot of these issues, I don't particularly feel super comfortable having major conflict over them because they're not very black and white. There's a lot of gray area, so having major conflict over any of these issues, I don't feel super comfortable, but sometimes I do. And sometimes it's okay to say, hey, I know the Bible's not super clear on this, but I think it would be a very good idea for for you to do this. Or it'd be very wise for us as a church to do this. And sometimes you will have conflict. But again, not always. Not always is it the best idea to have conflict over disputable matters. The second point that James is making, the second thing that we see here, is he tells us that we need to use the guideline of truth. What is true? We need to to use the filter of what does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? Because, you know, is the Bible really clear on this issue? Because like I said, there's a lot of issues that we're going to face that aren't really addressed in the Bible super clearly, but some are very clearly addressed in the Bible. And the the, the next thing that James brings up is very clearly addressed in the Bible. And he says, abstain from sexual immorality. I, I believe this is pretty clear. Scripture tells us that sex is a good and wonderful gift from God. And that it is, it, is, it is actually worship to God if we do it in the context of marriage. And any, any kind of sexual activity outside of the, the context of marriage is, is sinful and wrong. And James in the Bible all over says to, to stay away from sexual immorality. 
And this culture in Antioch was extremely sexual. Like extremely sexual. And I won't go into the details, but even, even their worship services had to do with sex and, and prostitution and all kinds of things. So, so James is saying, you guys in Antioch need to obey what Scripture tells us about sexual immorality. This is an important issue. You need to obey Scripture. And notice again, let me just say this. He is speaking to the church. He's challenging the church to obey what Scripture says about sexual immorality. He's not holding people outside the church to this standard. He's not judging people outside of the church. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? This is Paul saying, it's not our job to hold you know, everybody in the world accountable to what Scripture says. It's our job to hold each other accountable. And we can challenge each other, but I mean, it, if, if people don't know Jesus, they don't have the con- same concept of what the Bible says. It doesn't mean the same thing. We're to hold each other accountable. We're supposed to challenge each other on that. And I'm going to move on because I know I'm stepping on some toes. But he says, church, listen, we need to obey what Scripture says. We need to obey what Scripture says, church. We need to stay away from sexual immorality of all kinds. And he chose this because it was a big issue within this church in Antioch and this culture. And he could have chose murder or he could have chose gossip or he could have chose all kinds of things. But he chose this one because this was a big issue. And there are a lot of issues, like I said, there are a lot of issues that are disputable matters. But there are certain things that just aren't disputable. And just because a book that you read or just because someone from a pulpit or someone in your small group says that something is disputable doesn't mean that it is. There are certain things that we can say, no, Scripture's pretty clear about this. And sometimes it's very appropriate and necessary to challenge things that aren't disputable matters. And we do that in love. We do that with, with a humble heart. But we can challenge those things. And sometimes we will, we'll have conflict and we, we run things through the truth filter of what does the Bible say? Finally, the last thing that James was giving us, the last guideline he gave us was, was I think, my favorite. Maybe not my favorite, but I think the coolest. Sometimes I like challenging things And this one's really challenging. That's why it's my favorite. (laughs) But he's challenging the Gentiles. He's giving them this guideline of sacrifice. He's saying just because you have the right or the freedom to do something doesn't mean that you should. He tells them to abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. And I can't go super deep into what this is, but this was really a Jewish custom. And uh, similar to the meat sacrificed to idols, this wasn't like a black and white for all time issue. This was a, this was a cultural issue. And, and, and James was, was challenging the Gentiles to sacrifice and lay down their rights to eat the kind of meat that they wanted. Like you saying, I know you want to eat your steak rare, but don't because it's going to offend the Jewish people. There's nothing wrong with doing it, but it's just going to cause unneeded fights. So, so lay down your right. And if I'm being honest, this one really challenges me. This, this idea, I think, challenges us as Americans. 
As, as Americans, we are very conscious about our rights. Like, it's a big issue, like, of what rights are being, you know, violated and what vi- rights are, you know, being challenged. And our rights are very center to a lot of the things that we believe in. Let me just say, before I move on, I love that we live in a country that has the rights that we have. So I'm not, I'm not bashing rights by, by any means. But all throughout Scripture, do you know this, as followers of Jesus, we are challenged to lay down our rights. All throughout Scripture, the Bible says, lay down your rights for the sake of one another. Let me give you a, a personal example in my life over the past number of years. I feel like the Lord, let me, let me say this, I am a very opinionated person. I have a lot of opinions. And I feel like the Lord has been challenging me to lay down my right to have an opinion and to voice my opinion, which is hard for me. <laughs> like sometimes I'll see something on Facebook. Like I, I really fo- I love to follow politics and I'll see something on Facebook where someone's saying something political and I'm just like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I just want to respond and I just want to like say, what do you, like what about this fact? And blah, 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 blah. And give my opinions about something politically or socially or, or anything. And I feel like the Lord has been challenging me to lay down my rights for the sake of one another. You know, I know I have the right to have an opinion. I have my First Amendment right to speak my opinion. I know I have the right to have an opinion and voice it about politics, about Black Life Matters, about, about global warming, about immigration, about Donald Trump, about Hillary Clinton, but I feel like the Lord is saying, lay down your rights for the sake of unity. That challenges me. But I feel like what God is saying, what do you value more? Do you value your, your opinions about politics or do you value the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do you value more? What's more important to you? I don't want what I say about politics to maybe offend someone who doesn't know Jesus and for them to say, that's what being a Christian is. I don't want to have anything to do with with, with Jesus. So I laid down my rights. I don't want to have unneeded conflict with one of you guys because we support a different candidate. So I laid down my rights. I mean, I think politics are extremely important. I think there's appropriate, I think discussion about politics is very important. I do talk about politics with certain people in certain settings, in certain ways. I try to, we try to avoid, you know, fear-mongering and hyperbole and name-calling. And I think if you can do that, you can have really good conversations about politics. But a lot of times, it's just I don't find that the Lord is, is, is letting me say, this is an appropriate place to talk about. Jay, what do you value more, unity or your opinion? And by the grace of God, I lay down my rights. It's not by my power, because most of the time I'm like, my fingers are on the keyboard, and God's like, Jay? I'm like, okay, all right. This could be all, all kinds of things. And, and also, let me just say, that's what God's convicting me of. Maybe he's convicting you of that too, maybe not. It could be all kinds of things, like maybe God's convicting you or challenging you to lay down your right of listening to your music as loud as you want or as late as you want 
Or maybe the, your right to get that promotion that you worked really hard to get. Or, or your spot, that was your spot. You were waiting in line for that. Or the seat that you always sit in. Or, or your right to dress this way. Like, this is not wrong. I can dress this way if I want. Or maybe, you're, what about this one? Your right to, to, to not have to clean up after your spouse. I heard some giggling on that one. I think I maybe I'm poking something there. I remember my dad said something at my wedding that I, it just was like super, has always stuck with me, and I've stolen it. I say it at every wedding that I do now. And I say, this is something I thought of. This is, but no, I don't. He said, in a marriage, there is something far more important than being right, and that is being one. Being one is far more important than being right, and I think that's true in in more than just marriages, in, in all kinds of relationships. Listen, guys, there are some hills that are worth dying on. You know, there are some issues that I, I can say that I, I, would, I would literally die for. There's some things that I believe in that I would, I would lay down my life for. But there are some things that just aren't worth it. There are some hills that are just way better to avoid for the sake of unity, for the sake of being one. So we lay down our rights. And just so you guys don't think this is my opinion, I just, I just want to quickly read you some, some different scriptures. And I could have literally picked one of hundreds of scriptures in the Bible. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul talking. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I am free. I have, I'm the right to belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone. I've laid down my rights. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Proverbs chapter 12, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongues of the wise bring healing. Do your words pierce? Do your words bring, bring division or make people feel stupid or do they bring, bring healing? 1 Peter chapter 3, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. In conflict, or, or when you disagree with someone, or when you see something on Facebook like I do, are you sympathetic? Are you, are you full of compassion and humility? Do you, do you trade insults with people? Or do you, do you repay evil with blessing? Matthew chapter 5, this is straight from Jesus' mouth. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. What is fair? What is right? What is just? He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. (laughs) He's saying, lay down your rights. Someone smacks you, let them smack you on the other cheek. Someone wants to take your shirt, give give them your coat too. Lay down your rights. That's not fair, I know. (laughs) Lay down your rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. These aren't my words. That's Jesus talking. In conflict, in our lives, it's so important for us to realize that we are called to be peacemakers and not argument winners. 
We're called to be peacemakers and not argument winners. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, listen to this. God is calling us. God is calling us as a church, as individuals, to join with him in this beautiful story, this beautiful narrative of restoring the world back to himself. It's the most beautiful story ever told. And he's inviting us to be a part of that story. So let's be instruments of reconciliation and not division. Yeah? Let's be, let's be instruments of bringing people together and not pushing people apart. You know, it's within our rights to say and do many things, but it's, is it helping? Is it helping draw people to Jesus? Or maybe is it pushing away? Is it hurting? I love this. Paul just got finished fighting with the Pharisees, having this heated debate, heated, like, crazy fight about the right to not be circumcised. And what does he go on to do? If you keep on reading in this story, he meets this young guy named Timothy, this young Greek, and what does he have Timothy do? He has Timothy get circumcised. It's like, lay, lay down your right. You don't have to do it, but do it for the sake of unity. This, is, this offends people. This like causes fights that don't need to be there. So Timothy gets circumcised. Paul's laying down his rights. Well, no, Timothy is laying down his rights. I think Timothy is making the bigger sacrifice there. He's laying down his rights for the sake of unity. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it for the sake of the gospel. And I love what, what it goes on to say. It tells us that uh, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So they went and said, hey, this is what we decided to do. And it says, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. This stuff works. Like J James, the, the stuff that James said to, to use wisdom and to, to use truth and to use sacrifice, it worked. Their, their faith was strengthened. And their numbers were growing. People were coming to know Jesus. You know, we are facing lots of heated, confusing, and divisive issues in our culture, aren't we? Lots of really, really hard things. And people are saying that this upcoming election is like one of the most important elections in history. And a lot, of, a lot of the things that are, were, are being discussed and talked about, the Bible's really clear on. Some of the things the Bible's not really clear on. Some of the things, you know, really are going to affect the church. But I love what Phil Strout said a few weeks ago. I thought it was so important when he said, let's be the adults. Let's be the adults in this conversation. Like we have the potential to escalate situations, to, to make uh, people feel anxious and fearful and confused and, and all this stuff, or we have the potential to bring peace, a calming presence. Let's be the adults. We can add fuel to the fire, these heated conversations. We can add fuel to the fire, or we can help to diffuse the, the, the fire. And I think that's what James is talking about. He's saying, church, let's, let, let's not let anything get in the way of the gospel. Let's not let anything get in the way of what Jesus wants to do. Even if it's right. Even if it's, you know, something that you feel very important. Let's try to be peacemakers 
And if that means like not eating your steak medium rare, if that means not, you know, posting something on Facebook, if that means, you know, not dressing a certain way or giving up your place in line, whatever it means, let's be willing to do that for the sake of the kingdom. And let me just say this as, as we wrap up. When we are willing to, to lay down our rights, when we are willing to, to say, <clears throat> all right, Jesus, I trust you more than I trust myself, and we, we lay down things that seem very important to us, the, 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 what we receive back from God is like so much better anyways. It's so much better. God like fills us with peace. We get, we get to feel like you are part of something bigger than yourself, your, your purpose. Like laying down our rights is, is one of the hardest things to do, but it is one of the most satisfying things in the long run. So, so why don't we stand? I, I really feel the Lord wants to minister to a few groups here this morning. And so I want to invite you up um, for three different groups. The, the first group is, is for people who maybe felt like they needed to lay down some of their rights. Like when I was talking, maybe you felt like, you know, this is a thing. Like the Lord started putting something on your heart or in your mind like, this is, this is a right that I need to lay down. And I want to invite you up to get prayer. Secondly, it's people um, who, who feel very passionate about this, this unity thing. And they want, they want to call people into relationship with Jesus. And God wants to empower you to do that. God wants to give you more of who he is. And thirdly, I want to invite people up who have never entered into relationship with Jesus. That, go, that gospel message is something that you said, I want that. I want to be in relationship with God. So, so why don't you make your way forward? And Lord, did you have... You can start making your way forward as Laura speaks. And. Um, I just wanted to highlight one thing that JT just said about um, when we lay down our rights, the Lord gives us something to fill us up. And I feel like there are people here who are really good at the laying down their rights part. They're really good at the denying themselves, but they're not good mm. at receiving from the Lord. Yeah. It's a two-part thing. And um, you, you are still, you are falling short if you are not allowing yourself to receive from the Lord. So yeah. come up and receive from him. Yeah. So why don't you come on forward if you want to lay something down or if you want to receive from the Lord. So please start making your way forward. If we want to gather around these folks and just pray for them. Children, we come. As children, we come with arms open wide. So desperate for you, so in need of your life. May our praise fill your ears. May our cries touch your heart. Because we need your presence to change who we are. 
So we ask to come, Holy Spirit. Come in your power. Come inhabit our praise. Come now and reign in our life. Come, Holy Spirit. We'll come like the wind. Come be Lord of our hearts. Come now for your church once again. Yeah, Lord, we, we desire to be a, be a church um, that is filled with your presence. We desire to be a church that is unified with your purposes. We desire to be a church that has your eyes and your heart. So Lord, I, I just pray for, for your Holy Spirit that, that you say unifies us, that baptizes us into, into your family. I just pray for more of that, more of the sense that, that we are together. And Lord, I pray that as we're doing that, we, 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 we are reminded of these principles to stand up for truth, to use wisdom, and, and to, to, to learn when to lay down our rights, when, when to to learn to, to just not say anything. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to, to lay things down for your sake because you were willing to lay it all down for our sake. So we praise you, Jesus, and we just say that we will follow you and we trust what you're doing. And just empower us to do, to do the works of your kingdom this week as we leave here. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. Just want to remind you, please sign up for the being a, a children's worker. Please sign up for the equipped class that I'm teaching this Tuesday. And hopefully we'll see you guys tonight. I believe it's not going to rain. Pray for no rain. All right. Bye, guys. And we will let you know on our Facebook page or via email. Check that around 2 o'clock to see if, the, if we are going to cancel for any reason. But bless you guys.